Well, I don't know why I'm clearing my throat. You're leading us in. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I'm just like, all right. <laughs> all right. Take it away, Chris. This is so weird. What the hell is this? Ugh, oh, this is so boring. What else is on? Parecchi anni fa un certo, un certo, un certo Prisney, Prisney, Grisney, un americano, insomma. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, an animation podcast for geeky girl experience. I'm Chris Honeywell, and today I am turning the tables, because usually this would be where Hope says, and I make my friend Chris Honeywell watch my favorite animated shows. But, oh no, today I'm in control. And I am making Hope watch one of my favorite. It's not an animated show. It's not a TV show. It's a movie. But it's it's some animation. Oh, it's some animation. And I am talking about a movie uh, maybe a lot of you haven't heard of called Allegro Non Tropo. And how are you doing, Hope? I'm doing good. I'm trying not to laugh because I'm like, I feel like I'm in the Twilight Zone right now. <laughs> are you in Mirror World right now? Yeah, like Bizarre World. Like, uh... Yeah, this is very weird. <laughs> Having the tables turned on me. Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing all right, Chris. Having a good week so far, and to, I'm sort of taking September off from writing just to date this episode. So it's been nice having a little like a little mental break after the craziness that was August, and working on some stuff for the Etsy store for the fall. So yeah, I'm I'm doing pretty good. So how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm I've been looking forward to this for months now. I know. Ever you since have. I picked it out. Yeah, I know. I sort of pushed this idea. And it, it's it's really interesting. I really didn't know much like like much what to expect from Allegranon Tropo because I I'd never heard of it. Um and all I knew like I kind of looked at it on Wikipedia and stuff like that and so all I knew it was kind of a riff on Fantasia and it's more than what I thought. It's not a riff on Fantasia. It's a fuck you to Disney. Oh, yeah. That's, it that's is, how I took it. It is. It's kind of a gentle fuck you, but it's it's a it's a fuck you to Disney. It's a fuck you to art as commerce. <laughs> now, this movie was um, is often referred to as a parody. Have you ever seen Fantasia? I have. And Fantasia 2000. So the, the, this is often com- called a parody of Fantasia. I don't consider it a parody of Fantasia. No, I, I don't as, either. There's a sequence I, in it that is similar to Night on Bald Mountain. And in, there's a sequence that's similar to, like, the March of the Dinosaurs. Yes, and, yeah. And that, the, that, that's the Seder and Fawn and Centaur one. Sure. But they're they're not parodying those. They're, it's this is this is the Bruno Bozzetto take on Fantasia. This is yes. This is this is basically just another version of Fantasia. It is it is this is it's his so, version of what classical music would be. And maybe I'm just like reading into it too much. But there were parts of this like this this movie as I was watching it, I was like, this movie feels so timely. Like, this feels like a movie for 2020. There's so much in here. And the reason that it got me, like, being, like, the big fuck you to Disney, because you have the presenter character, and then you have the maestro. And the maestro is the guy smoking the cigar and, like, beating up the animator and, like, screaming at the, like, the orchestra and stuff like that. And in my brain, it coded them as 
the presenter is the Walt Disney character. And then the maestro is Disney Corporation. Yes. And and that's how I saw them in my brain. He's, he's the, yeah, he is the, yes. This okay. Is, okay, this I'm is glad the, I'm not yes. going crazy yeah. because there's, there's one no, scene. This, there's no, one all scene those where, black and white live action scenes are I, definitely his commentary on the art in the film world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because there, there's that one scene that, and I know we'll get to it, but like the Walt Disney presenter character is like, pull the camera over here, look at me. And like, he's like talking while in the background, the big guy is beating up the animator. And I'm just like, you know what that feels like? That feels like Gina Carano, like spewing like transphobic bullshit. And then the very next day they were just like, look, baby Yoda trailer, baby Yoda. Don't look at that. Look at baby Yoda. And like, that's what it felt like to me. And I was like, Oh my God. Well, it's always, I, that is why I love this movie. This movie's always going to be timely. It's always going to be timely because that's how Bruno Bozzetto does art. He does it. It's he does very old classical style art, no matter how like psychedelic or humorous his productions are. He's very traditional animation where he says something with almost everything he does. Or if he does something that's just amusing, it's got a little bit of glimmer of truth in it. You know, he go he goes for he goes for it. I should I, I should uh, I should do the background information on this so people I, know. Do you think for each of these parts we should read the summary of what happened so people know what we're talking about? Yeah, I'll give I'll give a, a summary of the the anim, a brief summary of the animation. Okay, I, just, at, I wasn't at the sure. beginning of it. I've got almost... I've got this movie. This movie just lives in my brain. Although this edit, I finally. I found out there's three edits of this movie. And I felt like one of them didn't have the live action bits. And I'm like, that's all the commentary. Yeah. That, like, that, I, like I, I'd be upset to know that because that's all the commentary right there. I got to tell you, I didn't like the live action stuff at first. I thought it was too broad the first time I watched it and felt like almost like fast forwarding over it. And now I, lo- I mean, I find it like. I actually like you that have to than... have it in there. It is. Yeah. It is. It's what it's wonderful. I actually and liked it... the live action better than I like the animation sequences. Wow. And maybe it's just because like I like Disney like movies. I like Disney characters. I like Disney creators. I like the TV shows. Of course, I love Star Wars. I love the creators and stuff like that. But I take I have so many problems with Disney as an actual corporation. And I've been especially critical of them the last few years as I've been like going through like studying animation. Like we're talking about the people who protected John Lasseter. We're talking about the people who gave money to China, who's currently has Uyghur Muslims in concentration camps. Like we're talking about the people who censor queer characters. We're talking about the people who didn't support John Boyega until he was trending and they realized they can make money off of it by standing behind them. Like I have issues with Disney as a corporation. And so like, and it's been, especially like I've been really feeling it last, like this year. And it's like very fresh right now. Like, when I found out that while filming Mulan, like, and, and it's so recently too, that they, like, they gave money to the area that has Uyghur Muslim concentration camps. And like, so that's a very fresh hit on me right now. So I really felt this in the live action. Well, this is, yeah. I mean, I've, I've grown up 
with a love hate relationship with Disney because I, I I like a lot of their media, but like I I, I grew up reading underground comics with a, a comic uh, one of the my favorite underground cartoonists almost got run out of you know run out of business and his livelihood because of Disney in the in the early 70s. So they but you know I take Disney is a big cor- it's the the corp what what this is what happens when corporations meet art. Yeah. The same thing that Disney does, other other companies might be better at some things and worse at other things, but like, yeah, the corporations are really crappy when it comes to anything but making money. Yeah, there's a lot of that in this movie. Yeah, and also like when it comes to like animation, like sometimes when it, like with animation, it either hits me really well or it doesn't. And some of the animation at times just like didn't just jive with like the personal style that I enjoy most for the most part, the finale, like I just had no connection to the finale whatsoever, (laughs) but like, it's, it's, it's just not the style that I personally prefer for a lot of the animation. So like, I was really digging the live action part. (laughs) The live action parts were filmed very much like animation. They were full of yeah. references to animation and stuff. Let me uh, let me do the background notes. And then we can go through it because yeah, and I then um, we could start. Then 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 people have a better idea. And just so you know, I kind of just did my notes as I was going through the movie, so we should probably just go straight through the movie <laughs> that way. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Take it away, um, Chris. Okay, so Allegro Non Tropo is a 1980 or 1976 animated film directed by Bruno Bozzetto and animated by Bruno Bozzetto, an Italian animator. It comes from the musical term Allegro Monotropo, which means fast, but not overly fast, or it means with feeling, but not too much feeling. And they take them out, so it, it, it pretty much translate to, translates to a joke. It translates to not so fast. There's three different versions of this. There's one where they cut out all the live action bits in between all the all the cartoons. There's one where they left the live action in and they dubbed it and they cut a couple scenes out of the live action. And then there's the one we watched, which for the first time I saw two scenes in the live action that I had never seen before. Oh, really? Yeah. And that, that was the, the scene where they got the hooker and they put her in the piano with the uh, with the animator in order to get him making happier cartoons. And yeah. uh, the scene where the ape grabs the conductor and slams him through the floor. And then at the very end, when the conductor comes up through the floor and goes, it's it's all over. <laughs> that, that scene was cut out. And uh, for some reason, for some reason, but uh, no, we saw the, we saw the entire version and we saw it in its original Italian with subtitles. So yeah, this is this is a movie has six six major animated um, segments, and in between them are uh, are black and white filmed sequences with the 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 animator, an orchestra, the conductor, and the presenter, and the some, cleaning girl. The cleaning girl basically are all all the characters in there. Is the, the cleaning girl's the love interest for the animator, and they do physical comedy sequences in between. I love that the the orchestra is all little old ladies. Oh my god! Li- that- real little old Italian ladies with no teeth, and everybody in this movie is dirty, grungy. <laughs> they drag the animator out, hanging out of a cell. They keep threatening him. <laughs> and you know, this is this is also a big uh, rip on on the Disney animation process. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
which was basically, you know, just a thousand people with whips over their backs churning out animation. So, yeah, so that basically sums it up. Let's start out. It starts out the, the introduction of all our characters. Yeah. I, I just I love that opening sequence um, because I it opens with the the cleaning lady cleaning the theater and I really felt that because in college uh, my my school training was stage manager so I cleaned and swept many of a stage in my time <laughs> so I was just like I get you lady um, so I did like that opening scene but right away like what kind of cued me in that something was off about this show is that you have the presenter like introducing this like very fantasia e and saying stuff like oh animators strive to bring music to life and i was like yeah and then he gets the phone call from hollywood from mr prisney or grisney and i was like oh <laughs> here we go this is definitely rifting on fantasia <laughs> oh for sure i mean it addresses it right off the bat but I'm sure before this movie came out, people were, were discussing it as such, too. So, And yeah. Disney was famously like to sue people and stuff. So tweaking Disney's nose, especially when this came out, was a little dangerous at that time. Yeah, and actually, cause especially when it comes to Fantasia, because Fantasia was actually Walt Disney's passion project. And it almost bankrupted him. And he was upset that it bombed at the box office. Like, he was like depressive upset and angry that it bombed at the box yeah, office he, he thought he was about to bring animation into the next level yeah and for grown-ups and and stuff like that and i don't think fantasia was unsuccessful at doing that it was just very self-serious about doing it whereas this movie does pretty much the same thing as Fantasia. This movie pulls out all the stops as far as techniques of animation at the time. Pretty much every technique of animation is at play in this movie is is displayed to great effect, done with just a scrap of the money that Walt Di- and probably bodies that Walt Disney had to to make this. So it isn't as lush as Fantasia. But for an animated production, it's for, for Bruno Bazzetto, who is basically a maker of shorts, it's a major undertaking. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually a little bit upset at the beginning because, like, you see this, like, really dirty, grungy guy, like, smoking a cigar. And he has a bunch of, like, little old ladies, like, in a cow pen and, like, herds them onto, like, this truck, and, like, I'm I'm sitting here thinking, like, this is a Fantasia risk rift, why are we on a farm with a bunch of, like, literal old Italian ladies with no teeth and stuff? Real up. old ladies, like, yeah. Really old ladies, why are we herding them from a cow pen into the back of, like, a truck? And come to find out that they're the orchestra, and, like, he brings them to the theater, and they're all, like, beautiful and dolled up, and they, I have to say, these little old ladies are just so cute, I love them so much. Um, and I love, like, the moment, like, they're all together. They're just, like, more than happy and willing to just, like, make fun of the maestro. And the maestro, to me, everybody, is, like, the Disney Corporation character while the presenter is the Walt Disney character. Keep that in your mind as I talk about these. Yeah, one and, is the face and one is the reality. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the, and the strong arm. And, like, the maestro is this, like, really butch guy who is constantly smoking cigars and, like, picking people up and, like, hurling them around the building. Oh, and in the he beginning, goes, he's in his wife beater, you know. I mean, yeah, he gets all dressed up for the show in his, in his tucks and tails. But when he comes out, he's just this, 
He looks like he looks like he could be a mafia tough guy. Yeah. Or, or a longshoreman or something. Yeah. And, and, then, and he herds the women like they were animals. He's just like, come on, let's he, go, let's go. He calls them like old hags and stuff. He calls um, them old hags, but it's weird. They all, ha- it's very European. They all, they, they still like, they, they hate the guy, but he's sometimes he's still, he's kind to them. And like, it's very colored by fascism in, in, yeah. in Italy, like all movies from Italy, from, from like from the seventies back to world war two are, are colored by, by fascism, especially if they have any kind of satire or anything in that, like, in Italian, like horror and police procedurals or, or, or murder mystery movies, the police are often portrayed as being fascist buffoons. You know, they're they're usually like completely useless. And police, the way police and authority figures are handled in Italian movies is is always very interesting. I love Italian movies, so this is right up my alley. You know. I, I I love the 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 feel of the way they approach stuff, and Bruno Bozzetto is very Italian in the way he approaches stuff. And then we see the maestro go into a dungeon jail cell, and we see we meet the animator, and he's literally been chained to the wall for what like seven years. Something like that, yeah. Something like that, yeah. And he was like, "All right, Mister Animator, let's get this out." And like that just feels, you know, what that reminded me of. Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> oh, they, they they give him a pencil, and the whole idea of this is they give him a pencil at a table, and he's animating it as the orchestra plays. So he's creating it with his pencil, and, and they're just like, here you go, start yeah. creating. <laughs> and it reminded me so much of all, all sorts of animation, houses and studios and stuff like that, but it, it more timely reminded me of Sonic the Hedgehog, because... With the live-action Sonic the Hedgehog movie that came out last year, when the first trailer dropped, it was hideous, and everybody freaked out, and there was so much backlash to that first trailer that the company actually came out, and they're like, where are we doing the CGI of this movie? And there was a real conversation of what's going to happen to these animators that do that in such a close, like, such a crunch line deadline. Because there's already horror stories of animators in different, like, studio houses and stuff like that, like, sleeping at their desks, working 36-hour shifts. Like, not having, like, health insurance and stuff like that and, like, not having, like, time for food and stuff because they have such deadlines. And that's what that reminded me so much of. And you know what happened? Uh, They finished the movie on time. Apparently, it was great until the actual company shut down and fired them all because COVID. And, like, I was just like, oh, my God, this feels like any studio, like, any video game or movie or animation studio house. This is what it feels like. Yeah. Um, this is this is it's the it, it is the when art and commerce hit ever since the 20th century <laughs> throughout the from the 20th century on. That's what it's been all about. And uh, yeah, this is savage. And you could also kind of go with this with Walt Disney in like the 50s and 60s and during the Red Scare as well. Walt Disney was very famously like anti-communism. And if any of his like when the when the big Hollywood worker strike hit, like he had no problem firing any of his workers that struck like went on strike. And like if there were any people that he just didn't like in Hollywood, he would just call them a communist and report them to the government because they were in his way. Like he was ruthless. Yeah, there was a lot Um, of that going along. Yeah, he like Disney was absolutely ruthless about that and not really caring about his own workers. He actually hired a well-known communist to help write Cinderella because he was getting so much flack and pushback from audiences about that. And so he's like, look, I hired a communist 
for to write Cinderella like me now and like so that's why like Cinderella the writer of it like tried so hard to make it like a social worker film as hard as Disney would let him <laughs> and it's not, it's not but there that's the history behind that so all right so our first animated piece what's it about it is a Debussy piece called Prelude to an Afternoon of a Fawn and it is basically uh, a fawn is of course a little little um like horned half half deer half human creature that would that's, that, a, that's a, a satyr a satyr well yeah a fawn he is, is a baby deer He's yes a yes but uh oh yeah yeah well this is a story of a satyr <laughs> yes but um obviously there's he's playing ir- irony off the the song because this is an old satyr this is a old grandpa satyr who's who's still out trying to trying to score with all the naked young ladies that are running around in a field this is like a great the starter movie for this a great first piece because it's very much like stuff bozzetto would just do as a short it it, it looks like one of his short features it's very it's probably what like four minutes long five minutes long at the most and it's basically just his attempts to make himself appear young and trick the the ladies into thinking he's the young satyr that he used to be and of course something always comes about to to make his gut fall down or his his hair blow off and then he just <laughs> at the end re- like accepts his age and sort of walks into the sunset and it's a beautiful sad ending you know as as he walks over the horizon you see that the uh that he's walking over the body of a giant giant woman as she just sort of rolls over like going to sleep and it's it's just a little meditation on on not aging gracefully (laughs) (laughs) and you know the eventual you know eventually you have to accept that you're aging you know what i i thought it was i I felt like it was a commentage a commentary about ageism in hollywood like the value that we give ourselves and it kind of reminded me and i think i think it's christopher walken i was trying to find the article so i think it was christopher walken that said this but a little bit ago the i believe it's christopher walken gave an interview and somebody like he was giving an interview and somebody had asked like why haven't you been in any movies lately and he goes because hollywood's not calling me anymore because i'm old I, I found that, like, there, there's always this conversation about ageism in Hollywood that, like, when actresses or actors, like, hit a certain age, for women, it's much younger. But so, like, men can actually act until they're older. But, like, once actors hit a certain age, they're not deemed, like, Hollywood-worthy anymore. No, they, they get, and, and they only get a certain ra- a kind of parts a lot of times. Yeah, you know? and it's usually, like, grandparents or something that and so like that's why like Meryl Streep is like a goddess because she still gets like all the parts but like when you have these like actors and then we look at it in context to society that's kind of how I felt like this like this the old satyr was almost like the everyday person and he was trying to compare himself to all these youngins that were like the standard and trying to still like be like them and he could never live up to them and he just had he just couldn't accept that he was not what society thought of him and it, it was so interesting to me was all the woodland creatures helping him. And that felt like, yep. like you know, the, the community trying to rally around him to help him and stuff like that, to help him see his own self-worth. But he just never could see it because he was always comparing himself to the glamour that is Hollywood. That's, they just that's wanna, what I They just want to help him do 
what he does, you know. You just want to help like, him get laid, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah there is wing- literally is wingmen. Yeah, but absolutely. I don't know if like that was his intention at that I time because it was well, that's 1970. The beauty of this. That's right, the beauty right. Of art, it, but... it, you can you can apply it, ageism is like ageism is a term that's like sort of popped up in the last decade or so. But we're I mean, talking about the 70s too, so we're transitioning from old glamour Hollywood into like the new studio times. And, well, also in the, in the 70s, old actors like guys in their 60s, lead actors in their 60s in 70s were just playing leading men roles you know but they not were the just... women the women were only good no like... no they the, all their wives and girlfriends in the movies were all like 30 years old or 25 20 years you old know. or 16 right yeah. yeah yeah but through the through the 70s into the 80s like old, old guys old guys uh, ageism well ageism wasn't as much of a thing for for guys <laughs> it's never been a thing for guys, really. Right. Well, it it, it it's is. It's becoming to more an now, extent. but yeah, but it's but always been worse for women. It's worse. It's worse for women. Yeah. And um, but yeah, like I said, the, the themes that he puts in here are are universal, and they're like always in play. So that's that's why I love this. Is you could put ten years in between viewings of it and get a whole fresh new perspective on things, depending on what's going on in 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 uh, reality. But that's uh, uh, do you have anything else on? Um... Oh no, that's what I really took from it. Um, so I'm ready to go into the the next one was the one that I probably it was my least favorite until the finale. Um, this is one of my favorites. I I post this online all the time because I I I just love its message. This is this this is a classic Bozetto short. Like, because, down to the simple animation style and the just simple message. And, okay, because that's the thing. Because, like, I felt like there was a lot of messages here, but I couldn't feel, like, one down pinned in, like, one exactly. So, what's the second one and what's it about, Chris? The second one is uh, Dvorak, is a is a, a part of a Dvorak song called Slavic Dance Number no. 7. One of my favorite musically. I, I just love the, I, I love the song. The song is so like it was fun it was just made to have visuals put to it and it's a it's basically about a guy and he's just he basically invents civilization but it's about a guy who everything he does everybody is just watching him and copying him he's sort of ahead of the curve and he starts off as a caveman like he comes out of the cave and he builds a straw house and then everybody comes out and they build a straw house and then so he gets mad and kicks it down and builds a like a stone house and then they copy and then he builds a skyscraper and they copy and then the next shot is him like in a business suit so he's gone from caveman to business suit well my 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 favorite yeah and and they they all dress in businesses my favorite is once he has a site they all build a skyscraper it it zooms into him sitting in his window and he's just (laughs) thinking murderous thoughts just like i hate everybody they copy me and then he gets the idea he comes out of his apartment and he starts sort of hopping and acting goofy and everybody else will come out and and do the same moves he is he starts bashing himself over the head and then eating the hammer and they they copy him and he just keeps escalating it and escalating it till he gets a gets don's military gear they all don military gear and then he tries to march them all off a cliff he jumps off the cliff and grabs onto his twig and is hoping to march everybody off the cliff and then when nobody comes off the cliff he peeks back up and uh everybody moons him yeah the end 
<laughs> but it's all it's all slavishly animated to the music. Every little movement just goes along with the rhythm of the m- music and like the music is doing a whole call and response thing with the instruments that it's just what I I just I love this video. It's it's one of the more it's a nut, like these these two are like the warm-up videos, you know. They're two little short videos just sort of put in there to get you warmed in they're both they're both a little simple simple in style and have a have a simple little theme i love them so what was the message to you because this is the only one that i could not pin down at all yeah it's it's i don't know if i 100 percent agree i mean it's about leaders and followers and the hatred and resentment of the people who are getting who are getting followed uh, just ge- the general contempt of <laughs> leaders for the people you know for the masses but it i i think it just basically is like yeah you can get people to copy you up to a point <laughs> i don't know if he's trying to make a definitive statement about politics or anything i don't think he is i think it was all just leading up to that joke to that punchline at the end I think that the punchline was the most important part of it. It actually kind of reminded me of the song, the of the song "Handlebars" by Flowbots. Have you ever heard that song? I have never heard of it. I've never heard of Flowbot either. I like that so, name though. So this song starts off with of the very basic lyrics of "I can ride my bike with no handlebars," and then it starts off with that very simple action of being able to like ride his bike with no handlebars, and then the the song gradually more and more just starts escalating like he goes from being able to ride a bike with no handy bar handlebars to like being able to take apart his remote control then he's uh able to like you know read books and uh, make a comic book and stuff like that and then he can keep rhythm with no metronome uh, with no metronome and then it keeps escalating to like I have learned how to make money. I can learn how to uh, make things last longer. I can now make computers survive aquatic conditions. I can now split an atom. I can now make an atom bomb. I can now destroy the world or like enslave everybody because I have this power now. And so the song escalates and escalates and escalates. And after like he, this song where he has destroyed the world in a Holocaust, he finally falls back and goes, but I can ride a bike with no handlebars. And that's what it kind of reminded me of was this escalation of, mm-hmm. and it's and the words are not it's not the human condition, but that's what keeps coming to my brain. But it's just that escalation of humanity of we keep getting we start off so simple and we just keep getting more and more and complex. We started off with a straw shack and then he built a building and then he built a skyscraper and then he had this military, and then it just hit this point where he was ready just to destroy this humanity. But they finally didn't fall for it. And that was where it like didn't feel like handlebars to me anymore. It felt like that's when when you betrayed the community, the community, the community recognizes that and they banded together against him. And so it almost felt like there is like a message about like how dictators come to power and how people like are almost like the lemons. They jump off things. Lemmings, yeah. Lemmings, thank you. I'm like, I know it's it's not Don Lemon. <laughs> But like they're almost like all lemmings. the Don Lemons running off the cliff. No, I, I love Don Lemon. Don't run off cliffs, Don Lemon. But like it almost like he was expecting them to be lemmings because he's become like this almost dictator to them. And then when they realize 
this person will harm us. They band, banded it together against him to moon him and say, we're not following you anymore with that. So, like, there were so many just, like, different, like, little messages there. Like, it felt mm-hmm. like it was trying to talk about, like, like the evolution of humans from, like, cavemen to businessmen to, like, community. Like, there was so much here, but yeah. it was, like, the one I couldn't put my finger on. Like, I could put my finger on every other story in this, but I was like, there is so much going on in this format. Yeah, no, I don't the, know. like... There, I've I've thought different things of this at different times. Like I think the first time, like when I've at, at first, I I always thought of him in a little more like um, sympathetic light until he became crazy, and that was that he was just a guy who wanted to be left alone. You know, he was probably a jerk or whatever, but he he was a smart jerk and he just wanted to be left alone. So he got out of the caves with everybody else and built himself a shack. Then everybody else built a shack, and he's just like, ah, all right, well, I'll build a stone one, and that'll keep him, you know, that, that'll that keep him away from me. And, like, he keeps trying to isolate himself, and everybody keeps copying him all around him, and, and then he just goes crazy, and he's just like, I know how I'll be alone. I'll just march him off a cliff. So there, there's that reading of it. That's That was my ori- original reading of it. Like, looking at it as, like, a, poli- like a political statement, it doesn't fit in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And I think he maybe not, wasn't going for like any kind of definitive political statement about dictators or stuff. Although the, it, it's, it's in there. I think he forewent <laughs> the political commentary on that to make it fit the punchline. Cause the punchline was everything in this. Yep. Just FYI, listeners, um, I did find this movie subtitled on YouTube. I don't know if it's still on YouTube at the time of us talking about this or by the time you hear it and stuff like that. But you can also see, like, these animated shorts on YouTube and stuff like that. But maybe The whole not- movie is on YouTube right now. I don't know right by now. the time this comes out. Yeah, we'll see how long it lasts. It's been up there since 2017. Yeah. But, so, uh, good luck. <laughs> yeah. But for now, it's on, it's on YouTube, and you can find it and, and watch it, and it's whole, and it, and it appears to be the full version of it. Yeah. So and this sort of this one goes back into the live action. At the end, the guy who's the um, dictator guy in the cartoon puts a bedpan on his head, and that's his helmet when he's gonna you know march off the cliff. And when we come back in, the the conductor has the bedpan on his head, and he doesn't know it. And the whole orchestra and, just starts laughing at him and mocking and him. Th- that was cool, too, because that was the first moment where I was like, oh, we're going to start breaking, like, the wall between animation and live action. And I was like, oh, okay, so there's going to be more here with that as well. I So I did like that, to have that first kind of, like, hints of, like, the, the walls between animation and live action are going to start breaking down. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do have a question about Bozzetto. Is it part of his style to have just, like, really exaggerated noses? Because pretty much yes. everything has a nose. <laughs> yes. Okay. Everything he, has like a very exaggerated. E- even in the next part when we're like we're talking about like mutated dinosaurs in a minute, like yeah. everything has like long a snake noses with or a big nose. Yeah, he oh. loves he loves noses. Okay. And, and and like that last animation, the Slavic dance animation. If you go, like, you can find hundreds of his videos on YouTube of his animations, and though that that clip is pretty much more or less usually the the style that he's in. It reminds me a little bit of the Pink Panther, like the Inspector in the Pink Panther. Yeah. Sort of nose. Their whole head is basically a nose a lot of times. Yeah, yeah he likes like, noses. 
And the Seder was like that too. And like, um, we're about to get into the Bolero once we started seeing like the thing evolve, which we'll talk about in a second. Like it had like a long elephant like nose to like feel around. And I was like, this guy has a nose thing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Noses are probably really fun to animate, you know, he yeah. probably likes animating noses. He's that kind of guy. He's got his style in it. And yeah. All right, so now we get to the most famous, the Ravel's Bolero. This is the most famous part of this. This, this, when this movie came out, this got clipped. They, they sold rights to this. Rock bands used to project this in back of the, you know, psychedelic rock bands would project this in back of the band. This was my favorite one for their, for their wasted audience to watch. This is, uh, they used to play this on HBO as a short feature between movies to fill time when they used to do that on hbo this is the most famous this is the piece that if anybody's hasn't seen the movie they've but they've seen part of it they've seen this 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 is the centerpiece of this movie this is the animation that like probably took i don't know if it's the one that took the most time but it's the longest of all the pieces it's the longest and it's the most complicated and it has a lot going on for it. It's just one of it's I mean, it's just one of the most satisfying things to watch it go because it is. Oh, I'll, I'll explain this, the story as it was. Can and I? This is a, yes. Can I summarize it? Yes. This is my favorite one. So uh, this is Rodolfo Bolero. I just got to say, Hope, I am so happy to finally be able to discuss this movie after 20 or 30 years and you are the perfect person to discuss it with so i'm so like in like i am a pig in shit right now (laughs) so as we're transferring from the live action into this one right and between the last animated short to this one they all decided to take a lunch break and so there's this whole oh i'm glad you're bringing this up so the Walt Disney character and the Disney Corporation maestro guy, they're eating this, like, super fancy meal. They have chicken and potatoes and stuff like that. And then the cleaning lady comes out with a big pot, and she's just giving pretty much slop to the old lady orchestras. Swell. yeah. Yeah, and just, like, giving them slop. And they're all so excited about being able to eat. And then she tries to give some to the animator, but his desk is, like, tilted because he's animated, so it slides off into the floor. And so she brings him a bottle of Coca-Cola that he's about to drink. But the Disney Corporation maestro guy finds him with this very fancy bottle of Coca-Cola and takes it from him. And so he orders for everybody to get back together to do the next piece. And he's still holding the open bottle of Coke in his hand. So when he throws up his hands to start conducting the next piece, the open bottle of Coke pours down his arm. And he gets mad and he throws it into the audience. What did you want to say before I get into the animation? Okay, the scene where where he's sitting at his desk and he sees the the guys under the orchestra pit like reaching for the scraps of chicken bones. Yeah. And he, he draws a little character on a scrap of paper and sends him over to try to get the bones, but the character gets burned up by the cigar of the the guy's just hanging his arm down with a cigar and catches the character on fire, and he slowly burns up. That's uh, Senor Rossi. And, yeah. And he's a uh, he's a regular was a regular character in a bunch of Bozzetto's more popular cartoons, the ones that would play like before movies. He was sort of like a 
a Mr. Magoo type character. They were always silent, but he would always be in a different part of the world having a different misadventures. He was just like the uh, the sort of like bland tourist guy that would get into weird situations all the time. So yeah. he got to he got to get his character in and then he got I love how he sends him off and then the character's like, "Help, help." And he's just like, "Ah." <laughs> and the guy burns up and his feet burn away and then all that's left is like his face and a little hand he's like bye and the paper burns up Mr. Rossi I actually did recognize like I I was like I know I know this because I've seen it at some point in my life Um, I've seen this character but I had like no idea what it was and so I had to go and like look it up and I was like oh yes I do know this I've seen it around and stuff like that so that was really cool because I was like I know I know this thing but I don't know how I know it And so we get into the animation because the maestro just just dumped coke on himself and out of anger he throws the coke bottle. And then we go into the animation and we see that the coke bottle is on what looks to be an alien planet. And in the background we see a spaceship take off. So it has this like this idea that like we are on an alien planet and the humans are just now leaving this planet because they're on a spaceship. And the little bit of coke left in the bottom of the bottle comes to life and it crawls out as like a single cell organism and it's like a primordial state of soda like coca-cola soda as the music continues the the little blob of single cell coke starts multiplying and then it gets like an eyeball and then it gets like a trunk and slowly it starts in a like, nose <laughs> in a yeah. nose yeah <laughs> a elephant trunk nose and it starts to evolve, and then we just go through pretty much the steps of evolution. Like it eating starts, and hunting and flying. And, yeah, and it gets bigger. Like it goes from being like a single cell to multiple cells, and then it grows legs, and then it grows arms, and then it grows like wings, and then it splits off. So like you have one creature, and none of it looks like dinosaurs or lizards. They look like mutations of dinosaurs and lizards. So don't. It's, but it's pretty much that the same thing. And so it starts making all these like mutated dinosaur looking creatures that are evolving and they're migrating together. And then during all this, so there's this single ape character that's kind of like hunting the dinosaurs as they're all migrating, like taking their spots and like because it's more dexterous or has a fur and it like steals like the fur off other creatures and stuff like that. It figures out how to make boat out of a turtle shell and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so it. So the whole thing is these creatures are mutating and they're getting bigger and they're migrating. And there's this ape creature that's kind of like hunting them and stuff like that. And finally, at the end of the piece, they come into this new area. And this is the one that made me go, what just happened? They look up and they see a cross. And they all just are looking at this cross. And I was like, what? And then out of nowhere, they like come across like an old highway and old buildings and skyscrapers just start erupting around them. And it turns out that this is not an alien planet. This is Earth that has been so polluted that the humans have left and all their stuff has been left behind. And they, they've been destroyed. And it turns out like it ends with this like tall statue of a human glaring down at them and the ape breaks out of the human's head very very russian communist worker looking statue of a guy like from an old propaganda poster or something yeah yeah so this this is the one where i just went what like that cross came out of nowhere and i was like 
what the fuck is happening right now? (laughs) This is the one that you can watch a thousand times (laughs) and see all the little things go. There's so (coughs) much going on in this. It's so amazing because every creature is also different. Like the like, I love everything the, has a personality. Yeah, and all the creatures are just so beautifully designed, and they look both like, you know, familiar because they look like dinosaurs and lizards and stuff. But they also have that like mutated alien quality to them, which is why like when they came across the cross, it was that moment that I was like, wait, what's happening? And and that's when I was like, oh, my God, they're on Earth. These, these are creatures that have mutated on a polluted, dirty Earth, which then has this entire, like, environmental message layered on top of this evolution message. <laughs> you know, our our literal trash has taken life of its own. Yep. There, Backwash so from a, a, a bottle. And, like, there's so many just unbelievable animation touches and techniques, like... The, the scene uh, where you see the bottle, like, fly out, it's very 2001 A Space Odyssey. The bottle flies away from this very stylized rocket ship and lands in the dirt. And then the rocket ship takes off. And, and just the way they animated the reflection of the rocket as, like, just lines of light up the side of the Coke bottle. And it slides up the, the sh- convolutions of the... the that's just that's just an animator showing off right there. Yeah. That's just a guy going, look at this. Looks just like light, doesn't it? <laughs> it's beautiful. Just just the whole idea of it is very entertaining, and the way he he does it, like even the glop, the very first glop in the bottom of the the bottle has such personality. You can see it trying to get up out of the bottle and failing and re-glopping together. And then it finally gets out and it just sort of stumbles out and it's rolling around and getting tumbled all. And then there's this sort of thing that's like either representing consciousness or intelligence or evolution. There's like a sort of little flickery light that they keep chasing you know, that just sort of keeps that's chasing what, and, and that's guiding them. I fell them. in love with it because, like, by that time, it had feet and, like, a mouth and a couple eyes. And it was just like, yay, a light. I was like, oh, my God, I love it. Yeah. And then it, <laughs> it was and just it, like, and yay, it, a light. Let's it, play. It's chasing the light. And meanwhile, there's this other creature with, like, an extendable bottom lip trying to eat it, following it. And he's always just one step ahead. And then there's a scene where all the snakes just sort of pop out of this giant combo snake and they're all working in sync they all like sort of like keep winding around each other but then there's one doofy stupid snake that just like has this that you keep seeing throughout the whole thing and he's always detached from the other ones and just sort of bumping into stuff and like like there's just a million little little touches like that going on all the time and at all That's... times, also, like, the, the thing that, because I was like, this had to be just so much animation work. Like, when you got to, like, the migrating scenes, you would have these, like, huge dinosaur-looking things, like, walking to the music. And then you'd have these tiny little creatures with much smaller gates, and they were all still marching to the same beat, even oh, though, well, like, their their gates were completely different. And I, 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 <laughs> I'm going to give people a challenge on this. This is why this the animation isn't so insane. Listen to any and either any section of the orchestra 
or any instrument that's doing it anything different all the different parts of the orchestra and something is doing that in movement yeah. you know all the rhythmic stuff you have all their feet stomping but every little melody and all the little touches to the any little flourish it is so keyed into this piece of music and technically as an animator and as a musician the great thing about bolero is it's one melody you, mm-hmm. you you just have to learn the one melody and then a whole chunk of the orchestra just has to chunk along with it and then everybody takes their turn going through that melody so you can block this thing out like physically like how it goes and oh, okay so it goes through it this many times in the animation and you know work it all out mathematically which is an insane leap that's how animation was done though just like this painstaking process and every little sound has a movement going on on the screen that matches up with it every instrument has something that's pulsing along with it or moving and you know that you have to watch it over and over again because your eye can't process it all at once yeah, absolutely. There's always a focus to keep you through the first time where you're watching it. And then, like, as you watch it more, you're starting to watch the background and stuff. And there's stuff. There's also the, the glass plates where they have different layers of animation going on. So as the camera moves, you know, the foreground's moving at a different rate than the background. And the background's out of focus and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just a technical and artistic triumph. Yeah, this one, this was by far my favorite of all of them. Though I will say the B was a very close second. I really loved the B. Um, this is but, always like the 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 one that stands out as a favorite. But you know what? Usually I like end up liking something else better. But this is always, this is I think will always be my favorite part of the whole thing. I think this is the masterpiece by far. And then we when we go back to live action, the ape of Bolero is now real. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things in the world goofy music and yeah like the ape is now real so the animator has like his creation has come to life and it's just a man in an ape suit it's not actually the animation like it's just a man in the ape suit chasing the animator around and then they start dancing together and the maestro gets really pissed off because he's starting to lose control as as yes. both the animator the orchestra and the cleaning lady are starting to get more and more agency against the corporation and the Walt Disney character. And they're starting to like find their own agency and finding little ways to ha- kind of break away and have fun and stuff. That was one of the things that I yeah. had seen throughout this movie was like the actual like individuals were breaking away from like this Disney the corporate ape, structure. The ape breaks down the structure and then the artists start actually being able to be like alive <laughs> yeah and, and it's and and they play it out like the the ape is almost like bugs bunny like the bugs bunny type chaos cartoon character that just comes in because he's fighting everybody but then he's dancing with the animator and then they're friends and you know it's it's all just like it's just it's very goofy there's very goofy music the little old ladies are having a great time with yeah. it <laughs> all right chris what's the next one Oh, uh, here we go, Hope. This you is the one that gets him. This is this is one of my favorites too. This is uh, this is another like as a and and they present it as such. This is the animator just like I am going to show off and I'm going to not just show off like some really like crazy animation techniques and super painstaking animation. 
I'm just going to unashamedly play to the emotion, to the emotions of sadness, like to the hilt, to the just to the 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 hilt. I'm going to squeeze every bit of pathos out of this one. And it's amazing. And he does. So what's the name of it and what's it about? This this is Vals Triest by Sibelius. And this is about a cat, a just street urchin cat wandering around the ruins of an old Victorian house, just the last concrete structure of it as it remembers its life there with a family over the years when he keeps going into old parts of the house and forgetting that you you know forgetting himself in the memories of uh of the of playing with the children and the life around the household and slow slowly but surely when he gets the happiest part of any memory everything just fades away and and he fall, falls down and then he's in another room and having another memory and at the, at the very end he's just sort of swept away and then the wrecking ball comes and takes down the rest of the building so here's the thing about this one about halfway through i like it suddenly hit me that you had mentioned it was either last week or the week before a sad cat cartoon so like i was like oh no it's this one <laughs> and so i had like actually prepared myself for something way worse like and there's that part where the cat's reliving its memories and it jumps on the stove and then it goes and like it kind of peeks into the oven. So I actually thought like the cat accidentally turned on the stove and burnt the house down and k- killed everybody. <laughs> no, it's sad. It's not dark. It's <laughs> like and so I was like, oh, they just left. I guess that's better. But yeah. like, I thought pathos, it was... pathos, not tragedy. Yeah, yeah, they just abandoned their kitty cat. It's an abandoned kitty cat. But like, but I thought like that's what it was gonna be. Like the cat was like not understanding like what it did, and it was just like, where's my family? And I was like, oh no. So like, I actually ended up coming out of this one just being like, oh, that's better. <laughs> I I always I I I'm a sucker for the sadness of sad innocent like this is just an innocent creature it's a kitty kitty like when i rewatch it because like i I was telling my my stepmom about this and she was like that sounds really interesting i want to watch with you so i'm I'm sure when i watch it a second time like now that i know that the cat didn't burn down the house and kill everybody (laughs) i I think it's gonna hit me differently but the first time i watched this i was like this cat accidentally murdered everybody oh god (laughs) and and like you know he he plays the, the cat's like Elements of it are very realistic, but then again, it's got a big old head and giant eyes. It's so cute. But they're very realistic, reflective eyes. And, and the it also first... mixes the live action too, because all the memories have like live action kind yes. of done in this like rainbow sort of. Um, it reminded Crazy. me. Crazy! Um, it's optical. That's optical yeah, printing. It it reminded me of just to give people a context. That scene in The Wizard of Oz when Dorothy is in the tornado and she's seeing things playing in the background outside in the tornado because it had that kind of layer of the film. It's that kind of thing, only it's in the animation where it's playing these live action clips, but it looks like this, but it's all done in like rainbow style as well. So it kind of looks like Dorothy looking in the tornado and seeing stuff. 
it's very monochrome and like just made out of colors. It's it's like an old sepia photo, but glowing like a, it's like it's it's a memory. Not only is it beautifully optically printed onto like basically in the old days, the way they would do it is they would film the family. And then when they were animating the cat, they would print this on a part of over top of the actual film when they were animating the cat and they would, you know, have a set with the section they wanted it over and they would have another camera projecting the, the, the real movie of the real people. But at the same time, they did also did moving camera effects where when these things show up, it stretches out and you sort of move into it. So there's moving cameras optically printed. It's just the the technical stuff to involve to make it look that good. And the amount of work that they had to do to do that is like it makes all the like anybody just who's not into animation is just into watching it as a movie is like it looks really neat. But as an animator, I was just sitting there like going, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, like God, when the room, months. <laughs> because the whole ruins of the house is flat. And so like the rooms like come out in a 3D way. And I'm just like drawing that changing perspective frame by frame. Oh, my God. <laughs> right. They're drawing things frame by frame that have to match up with a camera that's moving perspective frame by frame. It's just amazing. And. That's these these animators had to do in their heads the what the what the guys do with three dimensions with their computers now and it's it's just mind-boggling how that they that they actually can pull it yeah. off but like the beginning of this when the cat when we first see the cat and the first thing it does is it does a bunch of cat stretches exaggerated cat stretches to, and its hair sort of like and it's stick fur ripples it's fur ripples every muscle ripples in it and that's another show off just like look at the that, that's like akira level of detail animation and it physically feels like you could reach out and touch that cat and know what it feels like you can see like every little shiver in the the body language of a cat he's got it down perfect to where it would stretch and then it would just reach up and lick its paw for like two licks and be like, wait, what am I doing? Okay. And I'm walking, you know, all the reactions of a cat are like exaggerated, but hyper realistic. And it's just amazing. And the cat, the, the kids will be play, playing in the, in the tub and like water will splash out and the cat's like smiling and holding up its paw to block the water. And then all of a sudden everything withdraws back into the house and, and uh, once again, all incredibly tied in with the really super dramatic m- music. This 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 very dramatic waltz, very dramatic and sad, like alternately dramatic and sad waltz. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just lo- I love it. There's not a lot to read into it. It's just there to man- manipulate you, and they acknowledge it because when it's the end, it's just back to the orchestra. They're all like, and bravo, and like. Instead of throwing roses at him, they're all throwing their tissues at him. Ah, absolutely. And this is when the hooker came out, right? <laughs> yes. This is this is where I was like, "What's going on? I've never seen this before." They they so, throw him in the piano with the hooker and pull him out, and both well, he and the hooker well, look confused. Let's let's, let's let's slow this down a little bit to explain what happened. So the animator made a very sad cat cartoon, and all the old ladies in the orchestra were crying so hard they wouldn't play their music right. So Walt Disney and Disney Corp maestro guy was just like, "We need to make this guy happy," but they're not actually paying attention to the animator 
as an individual because he's starting to flirt with the cleaning lady and she is really into them and I ship them so hard and they're super cute because they have that kind of like dorky like flirtiness about them so like he tries to give her flowers and then corporate Disney maestro guy is like Hugh come with me and he puts him inside the piano and then Walt Disney comes in with a literal hooker and he and he's just like we just need you to make our animator happy so we can get more work out of him so they shove the hooker in the piano with the dude and then uh the piano plays a little bit to insinuate that they're doing hanky panky and then they finally open up and the hooker's like okay bye the animator's like okay I guess I can make something fun now and the whole time I was just like there's so much there about not paying attention to him as an individual because he's clearly falling in love with this woman and they could nurture that. And they were like, no, you need to do this on our standards. Here's a hooker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At the end, he just comes out sort of looking like slightly disheveled and confused. It's Italian. So he's not like, oh, I shouldn't have been ha- having. He was like, oh, I just had sex with a hooker. And the hooker is just like, I just made some money. It's very, very Italian. <laughs> but it, it was. <laughs> It wasn't. It it would have been a little more prudishly done. Yeah, and 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 yeah, that's like what the cor- what the corporate end thinks. They're 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 giving him what they think that what they would want. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and, though and, I do like the little thing of him like getting him himself together, and he takes off his glasses, and he has like a single like lipstick print on his on his on his glasses, and it's a really I like that's a nice little detail that they added there. And I'm like, why did she kiss him on the glasses? <laughs> well, they were in a dark piano, so. Yeah, yeah, but it was it was just a nice little detail. So now that he is happy from the hooker, we go into probably like if the soda bottle primordial evolution one is probably the best made one. This is probably like my personal favorite one, which is the bee. This so this I- one this one has lots of oh the bee oh yes yes. Oh, the B the B one's uh, another just sort of short, fun one, but so yeah. So what's it called and what's it about? This is this is Vivaldi's Concerto in C major, and it's about little little old fussy bee lady, and she's just in her field. It's a sunny day, and she's just gonna sit down and have some pollen, and she's very fussy. I'm I'm about to slap you for saying fussy because she is not fussy. Bitch has high standards and that's okay. Like she just wants to have herself a nice meal. She wants to treat herself. She just wants to take care of herself and have but this beautiful thing. Like that's not she fussy. Has, she that has means, a, that just means yes. having taste and high standards. That's not yeah, fussy. Yeah, she ha- well 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 the, the, this is all getting into our age hope. <laughs> Girl she has, just girls But just she does she does her. have her high standards and she's you could she's very very precisely dressed. Girls but just trying she, to treat but, herself but, and have a nice Sunday but brunch. As, as they make a big point, she has to have all her stuff. It's very, very OCD. She has to have all her stuff laid out in the right way, in in an exact right way. Everything goes in its place. And every time she sits down, sits down and puts her TV up and her all her little spices and and dressings for for and sit, gets set up around a flower gets her fork knife and spoon in the right place with the napkin this couple that's making out in the field just, human couple we should say human couple just keep rolling down the hill just keep disturbing her until the very end when they roll over on her and she stings a guy stings a guy in the ass yeah the old settled old settled people getting driven crazy by the young chaos people but it's just I so didn't take tr- her as old i didn't i see 
see she's kind of a she's kind of got that like granny nanny sort of outfit you know the little apron (laughs) she's she's got the british nanny hat on that sort of you know and uh that sort of puffy hat she sort of looks like um oh what the hell was that uh this is before your time there was a show called the family affair with buffy and jody and and the little girl had a doll that was a popular doll that was like a little old lady. She sort of looks like Granny from the um, Tweety Bird cartoons. She's not even wearing a hat. <laughs> oh, that's that's true. I'm I'm, but she has a little apron on. Well, you know. Okay, not- so let me let me let me talk about how I took this because I took it a completely different way. Because at first I thought they were setting up this whole thing of her setting up for a date. Because then we also saw, like, the young lovers come in. So I was like, oh, she's getting stuff together, like, maybe for her husband and stuff like that. And then no male B showed up. And I was like, oh, bitch is just enjoying her nice Sunday night, Sunday afternoon brunch. She's She even has her, like, all she wants to do is eat the pollen from this flower. She isn't, even has, like, her little vinaigrette, like, yep. drizzled on top. And, like... I didn't take her as old at all. Like, at one point, she has to take out, up, like, glasses so she can, like, see the humans. But that's because they're so big. But, like, I didn't take her as young at all. Like, this is just a girl who's just like, you know what? I've been working hard. I'm going to watch my tunes. I'm going to have myself a nice flower. I'm going to put everything in my nice place. I got my nice apron on because I actually have a lot of friends my age that have aprons when they cook. <laughs> I don't. I wish I had an apron. But, like, uh, you know, she just was trying to treat herself. This is, like, the B equivalent of a spa day. And she was just like, girl, I'm just going to get together. I'm going to watch my tunes. I'm going to eat my flower, and it's going to be a nice day. And then these two bitches, these two humans keep ruining my nice spa day. And I'm just trying to treat myself. And so, finally, she just snapped and stabbed them in the butt. <laughs> like, that's how I took it. Like, I didn't see yeah. her as old or anything. I just saw it as, like, girl just wants to treat herself, and she's her spa day is getting messed up. So... <laughs> Yeah, that, and I mean that's basically that's basically what it is. It's just a it's just a very cute, fun little. It goes beautifully with the music. I love the way they do the seasons like changing like, at the beginning. I, I have not noted too because it was almost like a because like this is a Vivaldi piece anyway, and of course Vivaldi has the four seasons. So it like it wasn't playing four seasons, but it still felt like an an animated nod to that piece just of a music. Little, and it was very like. It was very like you were watching a puppet show or something, you know, where the, 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 you know, the music would just go and the whole season would just sort of like fold away and the new season would fold away like a little, uh, like a, like a fan or something, you know, it was just, just a nice little like prelude touch added to the beginning of it, like an intro. Very classy. Yeah. I just find it funny that we... it sets the mood. Yeah. I just find it funny that we both interpreted this beat completely differently. Yeah, that's, that's that's what this is made to do. That's what it's all about. It's about interpret. It's about interpretation of the movie or the music. They're interpreting the music, and then you get to interpret their cartoon. Yeah, and so then we go back to live action, and the animator starts standing up to his Disney corporate overlord, the maestro, and starts like pouring ink on him and cutting his tie. And well, they have finds, this escalating cartoon fight where each one of them goes back and forth with and, the classic pull the tie out with scissors and, like, look at them and go snip, snip. snip. Lo- lots of looking in the eyes and, like, nodding at each other after doing it. It's great. And then it finally escalated to the point, and, like, this was the part that, like, it felt so timely to me. So in this live-action bit, like, this fight between the animator and the maestro corporate overlord has been escalating. And it finally gets to the point where 
the maestro literally picks up an old lady to try and throw it at at the animator and he chases him into the audience of the theater and of course the audience is empty like there's no people in the audience for this entire thing and so like the maestro is trying to beat up the animator and this is when the walt disney character comes out of nowhere and it's just like come look at me come look at me pull the camera this way and like the camera like kind of pulls pans over to them and you can just see in the background the maestro trying to beat up the animator while the Walt Disney character is like, let me introduce to you the next part and blah, blah, blah. And the camera will start panning out towards the fight. And he's like, no, 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 come back and look at me. And this is the part that I felt like, felt like Disney in 2020. Like this was the part where I was just like, the big mouse can never be wrong. And they always want to distract you from the mess because they never want you to see the mess that is corporate Disney and they will never admit their mistakes. So this was the part that was like, ignore Gina Carano saying transphobic bullshit. Look at the baby Yoda trailer. Oh, ignore that we're giving money to like Muslim concentration camps. Look at baby Yoda. Are you mad about how we treated John Boyega? Look, we made Kelly Marie Tran a Disney princess. Like, this is, like, the part where it felt so, like, 20, like, making fun of, like, 2020 Disney because the Walt Disney character is, like, presenting the next piece while behind him in the background blurry, you're seeing the maestro trying to beat up the animator. (laughs) And I was like, this feels so timely to, like, today. Like, this feels like it could be today. Well, this this was like probably my favorite part. This was the part where I just kind of like stopped and I was like, I need to tweet about this movie. <laughs> and I actually like wrote a tweet like, guys, go watch Allegra non Tropo because it's just a big fuck you to Disney. Like this was the part where I wrote that because I was just like, oh my god. And then the gorilla comes out and throws the maestro through the floor. Yeah, I love, and that was another scene I'd never seen before, and it's beautiful the way. The way the the gorilla like basically grabs a dummy of the maestro by the feet and just like <laughs> wings him down through a hole in the floor. And the way they cut it was beautiful because they they shot the the monkey head on and you just see him swing the 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 stuffed maestro down on the camera and then they cut to just the hole in the floor which is shaped like the maestro and it's just very cartoon cartoonally done. It's very nice. And then the Walt Disney character comes out because there's now a human-shaped whole stage, and the Walt Disney character comes out and just rolls a carpet over it so nobody can see the most. Like, <laughs> there's so much there. <laughs> yeah, nothing to see here, folks. And, and and then just has some guy, the guy down in the pit, yeah. like like play a record, <laughs> and uh, and the record is Stravinsky's yeah. Firebird. This is this is except for the finale. This is the last like big animation production and it's a big one it's stravinsky's the firebird and it's basically pretty ballsy religiously it's a what if it's a what if story from the bible it's what if the snake had eaten the apple instead of adam and eve what if adam and eve had just rejected the apple and and the snake decided to eat it and I think it basically functions as a definition of what Bruno Bazzetto thinks the apple is. The cartoon snake, reminiscent of some of the snakes in the Bolero sequence, just a little green goofy snake guy, eats the apple and and falls asleep happy with a full belly and then just (laughs) is awakened by demons and is just tortured and basically sort of put through all the levels of of vice and sin and modern life and 
with swirling visions of demons pooping out TVs through giant toilets and just being pursued and tortured and injected and dressed up as a salesman. (laughs) At the end of all the tortures, he's basically dressed up as a salesman. All the hell just falls away like a a broken mirror and he's left like a babbling just a drunken like alcoholic babbling fool in front of adam and eve who just sort of look at him with benign sort of i I don't know if it's pity or whatever and and just sort of leave him and then at the end he spits out the apple and takes off his suit and walks away yeah this was the one this was the other one that i was like there's a lot going on here but it was hard for me to put my finger on like any one thing because it felt like it was, like, here are all the corruptions to Bezzetto, what he believes the corruptions of mankind are, which are things like money and corporations. Um, there's a really great image of, like, a very simple church, and, like, the demons just pour money into it, and it becomes a cathedral. And I, that, to me, was a super powerful image. Yeah, uh, it keeps how- growing as they pour money in it, and they keep getting bigger buckets of money and build, you know, dumping and, them into these. And that you can like- see the church swell out, like, fatten up and stuff. Yeah, and that, like, that felt like commentary on, like, the corruption of the church and how, like, sex can corrupt, alcohol can corrupt, drugs can corrupt. But I yeah, thought the boobs business... Cha- the bo- I forgot to mention all the boobs coming out of the TV and chasing them around. Yeah, but, like, I, 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 I found it interesting that it shifted from Adam and Eve time. And, l- actually, let's, let's take this back a little bit. When, they're, like, Adam mm. and Eve are being made, it's stop-motion animation. It's claymation, yes. Yeah. They- the, that's why I mean when they say they threw out threw everything in here, you know, right up the. It's like, oh, there's so that wasn't just like clay animation; a, it was clay animated, and then it was optically printed. <laughs> yeah, so it starts off with like an eye, which is supposed to be the eye of God, and it looks like the eye of providence, and like actual live action human hands come down and mold Adam and Eve out of claymation, and then the claymation turns into 2D animation. So, like, we go from claymation to 2D animation, and Adam and Eve are just cute. (laughs) They're, like, they're such cute little babies, and I love them. And then the snake comes along, and that's when it goes into, like, the whole, like, the snake eats the apple and stuff like that. But, yeah, this one was interesting. It wasn't really my favorite. I think the designs of the demons, I just didn't quite jive with me. Um, You know what they look like? They look like the monsters on Nerds Candy. I... Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is about the demons in this one that just they they weirdly took me out of it, and I don't know why. <laughs> like I just couldn't quite feel this one. Um, I loved them. They had a giant, fat, blubbery feel. Like the thing about this segment is, like I feel in the age of computer animation that this, like when watching this sequence, a lot of it doesn't seem as impressive as it is because there's a lot of three solid there's a lot of stuff that looks like it was done by cgi in this things like like washers and dryers and tvs tumbling into space these three-dimensional giant stairways that 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 are tumbling and falling apart as he runs on them that would be very easily 3D animated these days that were all hand-drawn. It reminds me of this other movie. I'm trying to remember the name of it that was never completed. 
that this another animator did that had lots of stuff in it that looked like it was computer animated, but it was completely hand drawn painstakingly. And that's what the, this one is just the, the, with all those those the, the camera is moving in three different ways. Everything's like tumbling around like they're on a series of hurricanes and stuff. Yeah, like I'm I'm looking at a picture of the the demons right now, and I don't know what it is, but there's just something about them that, and I think I think what it is is they're so familiar to something else, and I can't put my finger on it. Like they remind me of something else so much, and I cannot put my finger on it. I think that's a little the, bit of the nightmare sequence in Dumbo. Uh, no, it's not that. Um, that's what it reminds me of. <laughs> um, but I I think that's what it was like. I spent most of the piece trying to remember like what they reminded me of, and it took me out of it. And I, I know this is the point, but it's, they're just not very appealing to look at, to me, personally. And I know that's the point, because they're demons. But uh, <laughs> but there's just something that just is, like, I just don't want to look at them. <laughs> it sounds so weird. So I spent a lot of this piece just, like cringing and i think that i mean that's the point they're demons you're not supposed to be like oh these are really nice nice demons i don't know well, like, uh, as demons go they're very cartoony and, they, I, and I think that's what it is is that like after like some of the like we're coming to the end of the movie and they have cartoon tongues and teeth that turn into like jail cell bars and, and all and that I, stuff and i think that's what it is like we're coming to the end of the movie and like there's all this like gorgeous animation and stuff like that and the demons almost look messy to me. Like, this was, like, the last piece they did when they were running out of time, and they're not finished. That's uh, what it is to me. Like, they just don't feel... Like, this piece doesn't feel finished to me. When, when Compared to stuff like, you know, the primordial evolution Coke yeah. bottle sequence or the cat. And, like, I and it's maybe it's just the style because it is more cartoony compared to everything else that I've watched up to this point. But I, I just found this part, like this piece, like a little underwhelming. Um, I loved the entire opening with the claymation. Um, there's actually a part where the hand is stuck to the foot in the claymation, and I just went, "That's Steven Universe right there." I wonder, and then I was like, "I wonder if Steven Universe stole that from this movie." Because in Steven Universe, um, all the gem characters, their bodies are made of light, so they can project they can project whatever they want to look at. But when a gem is shattered and forced together, um, it just, it forces parts of their body together. So there's a scene where they come across like a bunch of shattered gems that have been forced together, and it's just hands and arms stuck to legs and feet that are just kind of flopping across the ground. And I was like, oh my god, this is like that. I wonder if Steven Universe stole that from this piece. But well, I, I would hope that a lot of animators would have watched this, like, in animation school <laughs> and in their younger days. Yeah, I would yeah. hope so. But I, I think that's what it is, is that, like, just compared to all the other pieces, like, this just didn't feel as clean. But there's so much cool stuff happening. Like, there's, like, layers of, like, live action on top of the animation. There's the claymation. So I like a lot of the techniques used in this one. But when it came to the actual animation, and maybe it was just more cartoony. Like, this was this one in the finale um, were the two that just did not jive with me at all. <laughs> I, the finale was, like, my least favorite part of the entire movie. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Well, the, fi- the finale is such an afterstatement. What I love about the finale now and the whole finale sequence is he's tweaking Disney's nose because Fantasia was so serious that by the end of it, he's just like, I'm just going to let it go into chaos. 
and that's well, what that they send Frankenchini, a big animated Franken. Well, let's let's work up to that point. So, uh, did you have anything else about the snake in the Firebird suite? Nope. We come out of the fire, like so. The snake from the Firebird suite is now in the live action sequence, and it's crawling as a cartoon across the stage, and it scares all the little old ladies. And they all panic and run. And the Walt Disney character is trying to, like, keep everything together as everyone panics. And so the animator and the cleaning girl are finally alone. And they start flirting, and they're really cute. And he takes out his his drawing pencil, and he scribbles around her feet and scribbles up her body. And he turns her literally into Snow White. (laughs) Literally turns her into Snow White. And he does it to himself, and he turns himself into an animated Snow White in Prince Charming. And I was like, that is a big old finger to Walt Disney right there. And so the Walt Disney presenter character comes back and he has no show. And he watches the cartoon Snow White and uh, Prince Charming, who is the animator and the cleaning lady. And they literally fly away off into the ceiling. And he sits down. He's like, I don't have a finale for this show. So he takes out his phone and he calls what the name you just said. Frankenshini. Okay, tag your Italian Frankenstein <laughs> cartoon. <laughs> Drooling Frankenstein idiot who just goes, Tofanali. And Chris and, isn't being insensitive. This is literally the movie. That's exactly. <laughs> he. It's this extended animated sequence of this goofy Frankenstein going down the stairs, clapping his hands. Like, I always look at this as this is like, these are the guys that work behind the scenes. Like the tech guys who are like, they're like, go get me some clips from the, you know, to to just pad this out. And these guys have no sense of art or anything. They just go into the basement and grab something. And this and this guy basically he goes down in this long winding staircase slowly. He has these stumpy, weird legs and he's step by step. Oh, the ho ho ho. The finale. Ho 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 ho. Until he finally just sits down in front of a bunch of little stage dioramas and pulls him down once, one by one, to pick just a, a suitable finale for the end of the movie. And just basically, they, they keep reusing the same animation, which I think is kind of a joke on, like, Saturday morning cartoons of him grabbing one. And then it's just a bunch of little short animated sequences that are very, that are all very kind of dark and Bill Plimpton-y. A couple, uh, an illustrated couple kiss and their lips stick together and they tear their lips off. And my favorite one is like this little diorama that has a little lady, like a little like Victorian lady and man in it. Uh, that's why I like that one too. <laughs> and uh, each one is is him singing and pouring his heart out to her and then jumping off the side but each time he keeps cycling through it the little guy keeps injuring himself more and more and struggling more to to carry out the little act that he has to do until the end where he's like got a broken leg and he has to drag himself up and then the the lady he's singing to will kick him off and then at the end she has to run down and pick him up and just throw him down piece by piece <laughs> arms yeah. and legs that one that one's really funny but then he finally picks one out that's basically the sort of butterfly effect where they just they just cut the high points of a million different songs out and a, a little breeze ends up setting off a chain of escalating events that, yeah, that get bigger and bigger hat. until the entire world blows up to like the 
end theme of of uh, the space there the dun 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 with nuclear weapons flying the earth exploding. Yeah, so that that scene is a guy loses his hat and he bends over to pick it up and he bumps into a guy who then trips and drops a, a trash can into the road and a car swerves and then hits another car which then goes into a building and then people are panicking and the building catches on fire and then the world catches on fire and it sets off a nuclear bomb and yep. then. The, and when one nuke flies away and hits another place, four more nukes fly apart, and then they eventually blow up the world. Which was, again, very handlebars by Flowbots. <laughs> so, I'm not a fan of the Frankenstein character, I'm just not. <laughs> I don't like the animation. But I did like your explanation to it, that actually adds a lot of context to it. I, I do like that take on it. At the end, there's no artistic control over the movie. It's just a big dummy pulling out the thing that will make him guffaw the most. And that's just the violent slapstick destruction of the world. And and then I can't remember how well the 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 way the way they ended the movie originally was he would he slapped the the diorama and the snake was in it. Before we go before we leave, I have a little bit more to say about the sequence before we go to like the end end. Um, I think the p- reason why this didn't jive with me so much because it didn't feel like the ending that they were building towards. Because this entire time, it felt like there's this story of this kind of like corporate animation studio versus the individual being the animator. We finally get this ending where the animator and his love interests are free of this corporate structure and they turn themselves into cartoon characters. So I thought this was going to be like a finale piece that was going to be like they finally broke out of this corporate structure and we were going to have a finale where it's just their lives free no. of this corporate stri- structure. And <laughs> <It's> not their movie. <laughs> and And that's why it felt like it was kind of a disappointing ending because it didn't feel like the ending that the movie was built towards. So it almost felt like a slap in the face as a viewer. It felt felt like they ripped the story out from under me, which is probably the point, which is probably no, the point yeah, of all this. No, no, no. They didn't and, rip the story out from under you. You were what? You, you, you thought you were in a different story. You're, yeah. you're, in, Disney, you're in Disney's story. And when yeah. it all falls apart, the, the, the artist gets away by getting away. He goes away. He's he gets the hell out of there. It's and then we see what the artist is left and what you're left with is like the you're left with the corporate guy and just some some hack <laughs> Frankenstein yeah. guy to piece some garbage in at the end to do yeah. it you know it, it, it we're, we're watching like, the disney movie we're not watching the the animators movie the animator escaped <laughs> yeah and like and i don't and i, I don't want to bash the animation of this section like the animation of this section is great but like for one it's like super hyper violent which is not my cup of tea i do not like hyper violent stuff i do not like gore i do not like body parts like so that was an immediate all it is it's all it is <laughs> and like like i actually like that is not hope's cup of tea that is not the, the actual it's funny because the actual destruction of the world part is actually less violent than all the little cartoons yeah and <laughs> all I, the I little have cartoons written... are like a runner running across the finish line but the finish line's a razor blade so it's like arms and, into... arms and hands get his chest and hands get cut off as he runs yeah it. like it was just 
I, I wrote down in my notes, it felt like the bottomless pit episode of Gravity Falls, which it's just a bunch of unused segments. Yeah. But I, I do like how you're explaining it, that it's just this is what happens when movies are left in the corporate hands. As you were saying about that, I just immediately flashed to hack together sequels of Disney movies or like what happens when corporations meddle too much in a movie. Like right. Yes, solo. exactly. And um, in the end, the people who are the ultimate control of it are that slimy, slimy yeah. front man guy. And just some guy behind the scenes was like, I don't know, throw some violence at it. So yeah, that makes and, sense. I mean, we, to me. we sympathize with, with the with the artist. He's the likable character and, and the Snow White washerwoman are are the sympathetic characters. But yeah, that's the thing is it's not their movie. Yeah. The artists are the best ones there, but they're the ones that like they're just gonna get treated like crap till they escape and to go do their own thing. Yeah, I do like how you explained it because that makes it that makes it me understand it, but it doesn't mean I still like it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, um, I also like how when at the end when the artist is stripped down, that the artist when when the artist and the girl are are flirting with each other, you have Disney where they're like, here, here's your drawing table, and you can draw anything you want with the magic drawing table artist. You can do whatever you want, but the artist still doesn't get his vision. Meanwhile, he and the washerwoman start making art with just she's using the the squeaky her squeaky pail handle and he's using his squeaky. Oh, I love tape. that scene. And they just and they, and they start ma- and they they just keep making art anyway. They they're like, yeah, okay, I don't have my magic pencil anymore, but we can just go ee ee ee. And mm. they're making their own dorky little music, and they're so cute. Making, I love that scene. music together, and they're communicating with each other. That's true. Neither of them ever say anything for the entire movie. Nope. Nope. The only... Nope. The better the character is, the less they say <laughs> in this in in the world of Bruno Bozzetto. Bruno Bozzetto doesn't have a lot of dialogue. The only thing re- resembling dialogue comes out of the mouth of the orchestra and the assholes in this and the snake at the end of the Adam and Eve one gets to go. Yeah. That's about it. The same with his animations. His animations are, if they usually have dialogue, it's or maybe one word or something, but yeah. So we come out of the finale, and Walt Disney character is just very sad because his movie's over, and the now the maestro who got thrown through the floor comes out covered in bandages. This is like also something I've never seen before. This is not how the movie ended in the way I've seen it for the last 30 years. It ended ended with, instead of these guys, it transitions from the guy smashing the TV, the snake into the TV, into you see these two guys on one of his TV screens, or on one of his little screens, and it goes into the, the maestro coming out of the floor going, all right, let's do the finale in the guy going it's over we've already done all everything it's all done you can just pack up and and the maestro's all wrapped up like a mummy in bandages the way it originally ended with was just with the snake going like you know oh that's what's left over it and then and then it was over interesting (laughs) and then then the snappy music started playing so in this ending the walt disney character and the corporate maestro guy start brainstorming their next story and 
their title is Sleeping Beauty, but they come up with the story of Snow White and the Seven Drawers. And I love that because they're just like, because this whole movie is a ripoff of Disney in the first place. And so yeah. they're like, our next movie is going to be they're Snow planning, White. <laughs> they're planning to rip off the next one, yeah. Which was the original Disney and, project. That was and the he first pulls it off Disney. like, I have an idea. I have an idea for a next, it has girls and sex appeal. And he's just like, oh, so seven men and seven women. No, no. One no, woman. It's more interesting with just one woman and seven guys. And but we'll save money. They'll all be short. <laughs> and then they're like, you know, they'll be workers like in a mine or something. And and that way there's like a social commentary on top of it. And they'll sing like do 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 do. And then it turns out that the uh, Frankenchini and the snake are watching it. And I, I did like that ending where the happy end comes down and like crashes into Frankenchini. And then the snake pops out of the D because that felt like a little nod towards Looney Tunes. And that was the end of the movie before they cut out the whole section with them. Maybe they maybe they cut it out because of them talking about Snow White so Mm -hmm. overtly. Or maybe they just thought that was a more palatable ending for the Americans. The less of the Italian social commentary. (laughs) Although it is it it works. Yeah, I don't think it absolutely works because it's uh, Italian style. But the, the commentary works on anything. I mean, I think this movie is is timeless, you know, basically. By putting the, the film sequences in black and white, it automatically made it a nod to old old slapstick, Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin sort of stuff, type humor. So, so, yeah, so it was old-timey when it came out. And there's and and the kind of psychedelic look of it is kind of 70s, but I think it's still... The most psychedelic one is probably the Bolero one, and that's the one that everybody always loves. So, so I, that's I, Allegra non tropo. <laughs> yeah, strongly, I highly recommend it. It's if you, especially if you have a nice big old TV at home to watch it on big old screen. It's a, it's an immersive treat. And if you're a fan of animation, it's it's right up there with with Fantasia as a must watch as a high point in the in the craft of animation like with Akira and stuff like that anything on that higher end of animation and just I love the way Bruno Bozzetto communicates basic things just through facial expressions he's just very deft at it It, you don't even know he's doing it a lot of the times it's just great I highly recommend my introduction to him, and I didn't even know it was an introduction to him, was as a little kid. And on PBS, they used to have, I don't know if it was weekly or monthly, but they had a, a show that was basically, I can't remember the name of it, but it was something like Best Films of the American Academy of Animation or something. It was very lofty sounding, but it was just a series of awesome, and they weren't, it wasn't like American animation because obviously i saw a bruto bozzetto movie but i never forgot it there was one animation and it was it was a giant sleeping it's it, this will sound very familiar after watching allegro non tropa there's a big giant sleeping person and at the beginning there's a, a a whole sequence of mosquitoes landing on him and getting trying to suck blood safely without getting squashed and you know first they'll land on his nose and then You'll see him sucking blood, and then, boom, they'll get squashed. And then you'll see another one on the toe, and then he'll get squashed. And then they started using, like, straws. <laughs> and finally, they, they, like, form a whole society 
on there and they're all drink, fi- different ways of drinking bun. Finally, they're running like oil mills for the blood. And at the end, you see the finally the guy's getting just sucked dry and he wakes up and he's just like, Rah! <laughs> and that's the end of it. And I remember being a real little kid and seeing that and going like, wow, I, I, I think that's when I got an understanding of social commentary. I'm like, oh, that giant person is the earth. <laughs> I get it. I looked for that cartoon for years, but it was impossible to find because I didn't know the the name of it. I still can't remember the 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 name of it again. But I could probably fi- I f- I finally found it under that PBS show I was reading about, and I'm like, that sounds like the show where I saw the mosquitoes, and and then I finally found it years later, and. It was just like I remembered it. And that I was so happy and surprised to find out it was Bruno Bozzetto. My final thoughts on this was this was such an interesting thing to watch because it's just so outside my realm of what I normally watch. The animated sequences were amazing. Even even though it's not the style of what I usually like to watch, I, I still I love how deep they were. Like it, it dawned on me how much I enjoyed this when I was sitting at dinner and I started telling my stepmom and my dad about the movie and I was just like getting more animated. I was like, and then there's this and there's this and all this stuff. And I was like, wow, I really like this. But I definitely loved the live action sequences and just how much of it is just a fuck you to Disney as a corporation and just to like animated studios in general as a corporation. But the animation is just so good and it's deep and it's thought-provoking, and it has so much to say in such a short amount of time on so many different levels, on so many different topics. So I, I really enjoyed it, Chris. This is awesome. I'm glad you did. So, <laughs> I was curious. To de- I'm very surprised. Usually the live-action parts are people's least favorite part of it. Yeah, I was very surprised about that. But yeah, I knew that there was a lot of stuff that would appeal to the kind of things that, that you like to see in yeah and then i was surprised at what you did get out of it so i've been waiting so long i uh, yeah am i really the first person that you're recording this movie with oh yeah for sure oh yeah you're the first person i've had a a actual conversation with about this movie since the first time i saw it and i had driven down to new orleans or ridden in a car me and my roommates from college and a bunch of our friends drove down to New Orleans to stay at one of his friend's houses during Mardi Gras. And at the end of a week of, of Mardi Gras celebrations, we were like, let's go rent a movie. And I found this movie in the video store and freaked out and not only made everybody watch it, but I hooked it up to my camcorder so I could make a copy of it. And that's what I watched for the last 20 years is my old Super 8 camcorder has a copy of Allegro Non Tropo on it. And I'll, I would hook it up to a TV every once in a while to watch it. And I made everybody watch it. And that was the only time anybody ever talked about it. Everybody enjoyed it, but uh, there wasn't a, there wasn't like a nerd discussion afterwards about it. So, yeah, this is my first first time I've gotten to discuss this movie. I'm, I'm so psyched. happy. I'm so happy that I was able to do that with you. This was so much fun. Now I got to think of what next year's Chris makes Hope Watch a Cartoon. Well, Let you have me. an entire uh, season of Gravity Falls to do so. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I have, <laughs> you know how fast time goes by. Absolutely. I'm, I'm leaning heavily towards rock and roll, getting you a little, getting a little Nelvana action in there. 
more traditional a more traditional style of uh hey they did the star wars holiday special animation so i'm yeah. familiar with it yeah yeah this is this is that style but more up like this they they definitely put it more into the sort of disney don bluth sort of animation but it's definitely nelvana well did you have anything else about allegro non tropo i do not what about you i do not so I do want to take a moment and thank my wonderful patrons because you guys make the show possible and we love you so much and we want to thank you for supporting the show. So thank you to Lynn, Patrick, Bree, Alex, Kate, Billy, Heather, Brian, and Jean. Um, thank you so much for supporting the show, you guys. And I hope you guys enjoy this. Um, like we said, like at the moment it's on YouTube. So if you get a chance to check it out, like I highly suggest it. All right, Chris, where can people find you? You can find me at twotruefreaks.com. That's where we keep all our podcasts, and uh, including another podcast that I do with Hope called J Guys and Jedi, where we cover Star Wars animation. We just we had an not- amazing conversation last night. <laughs> oh, jeez. Can I just say that that guy and his whole family, just the, the, the whole podcast was just one giant good vibe. Yeah, we had Brian from Pink Milk on, and Pink Milk is a Star Wars podcast where it's two gay husbands, and they talk about Star Wars, and I'm currently guesting on their show for a month now, because we're going through The Mandalorian, and we were talking about the Clone Wars episode, Gone with a Trace, but honestly, it just was like a conversation of him, of me and Brian watching Star you Wars. You and Brian choking up. <laughs> like talking choking about Star up Wars. Over Clone Wars and yeah, like and we were issues talking around about, Clone Wars. Yeah, we were talking about Clone Wars from a queer perspective. So he was talking about Star Wars as being gay. I was talking about being bi, bi- pan and asexual. And it was just a three hour conversation of talking about Star Wars from a gay perspective. And it was just, it was amazing. And I, let's see, we're like, what, four weeks ahead here? So the episode might be out by the time. Or it's either just came out or about to come out by the time this episode comes out for our patrons. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it will be out by the time this comes out on the public feed. That That is one to check out because that was a really, really great conversation. Like, I yeah. was very, I was moved several times talking with Brian last night. And usually J-Guys and Jedi is like, we're burping and making stupid jokes and we have a dirty Yoda bit. But, like, we actually had, like, a really deep conversation last night that I'm still, like, shaken from. <laughs> Yoda still was pretty dirty. Yeah, I mean, it's Yoda. What are you gonna do? He's old and senile, and like we had to like we had to pull Yoda off this this poor guy's feet and just send him on his way. He was like, "Your feet smell good." (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, I I I I just gotta say, it's just it's very rare to have like a guest that's just so like emotionally open about what they want to talk about and. Just the whole vibe of he and his whole family, his like I, I it's always funny because people feel so bad about it when like their kids or their pets intrude into the show. Um, and, we got to talk about dinosaurs. And at the same and, and at the same time, like like as a podcaster, you know, somebody somebody comes in and has to like somebody's pet or kids come into the show. I love it. I love Me getting too. a glimpse. You know, it's it's that it's it's actually my favorite part. You're getting a glimpse into the the person you're talking to to life and stuff. And and it's always fun to see people's kids. Let's let's be honest, and their pets especially, and their husbands and wives. 
and his family was just it, it's just it, it it was just such a like i i love the wholesomeness of a kid coming in and being like you know and and it's awesome but it always creates this awkward moment where like you know you and i are just like hey i'm like the dogs are i'm like hey buddy hey buddy right and there and then the people are embarrassed and they're like oh geez they're just being nice but we just i just interrupted their podcast with and and these guys are being so nice about it, but we're like, no, keep the kids in there. <laughs> That's the thing. Like until you're actually like. At I, the I end, you're like, you're like, bring your husband in, and you're like. And, and Tom like, is such a lovely person. And we're like, and we're like, where's the dog? Get the dog. <laughs> and that's the thing, like when it comes to podcasters, like. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and yeah, yeah, there probably should be, and like to depending on the show like with Jay guys and jedis like we have formulated this show where we are it's a very very laid-back show for hope makes chris watch cartoons since you know i have people paying for this i like it to be a little bit more professional but i still said fuck a lot in this episode (laughs) but like but but i think there's this kind of like misunderstanding when it comes to podcasting that like people have to be like super professional at all times and like um, they can't, it's like, we can't breathe between spots and stuff. We must cut out, like, all the breathing because we're people. And I'm like, yeah. no, like, I I love when we get to see into people's lives because we don't, li- like, yeah, the nerd conversations is fun, but you listen to a podcast because you love the host. I mean, you know, some like, of our podcasts are very structured pieces of sort of produced, every, all our podcasts are produced and stuff, but I mean... For, for the most part, there's a general theme of it's just sort of like you're hanging out with your friends, and sometimes other friends come over. Sometimes a dog comes into the room. My cat has st- been on our podcast a lot. I don't think my cats have been in Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons yet. Actually, they might have been in an earlier episode, because I think I had to kick Spokes out of an episode. But, like, my cats have been in the episodes, and what do you do? You throw up the Meow Mix music. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just part of life. Yeah. Yeah, wow. so like, yeah, I, 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 I just always feel bad because it's like nothing you can do ever will convince the guests that first time that you're not just being nice and being like, oh, God, now I got to cut the kids no. out. And, not, and it's like, no, no, now I'm going to be we like, hey, it. can I leave your kids right in there? <laughs> I guess to Eli about dinosaurs. And Brian messaged me today and he yeah. was like, you guys made Eli's night. I'm like, good. It was great. <laughs> like Eli's well, he thought, I think he thought he might have to be nice and say Star Wars, but he really wanted to say dinosaurs. And then he did. So, he, but, uh, you know, his his. His parents taught him right, so he said dinosaurs, and then you were just like, I love dinosaurs. I do love dinosaurs. I do. And, uh, I honestly love dinosaurs. I think they're so cool. Brian reminded me a lot of my uh, uh, one of my best friends from college and was my roommate for a while, who I haven't talked to in years. But they have a very that the, a very similar demeanor. It's almost a Mr. Rogers vibe, but neither of them were like Mr. Rogers. But it's a very just like Good, relaxed awesome. and calm calm vibe and a willingness to just like have like honest emotional conversations with that where normally it would just be a sort of normal conversation they're very very open to like discussing their feelings and stuff in just this very just relaxed mellow way i don't know he reminded me a lot of someone i knew so it was just very pleasant talking to him yeah and uh yeah it was 
Brian and Tommy. You dig up you. some great guests, Hope. That's just uh, that's <laughs> what I gotta say. I I feel like I have to find go find some great guests, but I don't know if I can find ones that are as nice. I'm I'm working on our our list for resistance too. I have three or four people in mind already, so I'm very excited about that. So, yeah. We yeah, are also on Twitter, run by Gene Gene, the podcast machine. To do, that's to do, right. To do, to do, oh, thank you, Hope. That's what we were in the middle of. Yes. <laughs> also, uh, also on Facebook with the Two True Freaks podcast and the Two True Freaks Cantina. And on Twitter with Gene. Do, 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 Gene. <laughs> and you can find me at geekygirlexperience.com. This is, of course, the animation podcast for Geeky Girl Experience. There's also my Patreon, where my lovely patrons are. And if you also just want to help support the show, um, it's $3 a month to support the show on the website. You get Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons episodes at $7. But if you just want to be a supporter, like $3 or any amount would be great. I would highly appreciate that. Thank you. You can also find me at Twitter at Hope Molinex. Of course, we have Guys and Jedi, where you can find also on Twitter at Guys and Jedi. All right, Chris, you want to know what we're doing next week? It's season two, isn't it? No, we have one more thing. We are next week. We're oh. gonna do the seventeen Gravity Falls shorts. Oh, that's right. I forgot. I totally forgot about that. Yep. Um. So what it is is that, and these are both on Disney Plus, and they're so easy to find playlists on YouTube. I mean, I, I honestly prefer watching them on YouTube because between each short's about two minutes long, and then there's like four minutes worth of credits on Disney Plus, and it's just like, oh my fucking god. <laughs> so I don't it's basically it. I almost a couple shows were yeah like when you put them all together like it's 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 about maybe like two episodes worth of stuff so there's dipper's guide to the unexplained mabel's guide to life fixing it with seuss mabel's scrapbook and then two tv shorts and those are the 17 shorts there are technically other shorts but they're not, like, canon shorts. What they were was, like, whenever they had, like, specials and stuff, they would have, like, a puppet McGucket popping up and being like, I think it's gonna be this. But those are not, like, official canon shorts. Those are things that were created by Disney to just, like, generate hype. So we are gonna be watching the 17 shorts next week. And it's gonna be fun! I'm excited! And then we'll get into season two. Excellent. Well, we will see you guys next week. Bye. You say bye, Chris. You just hate everybody now. I was just wondering, did you say where people could find you? I did. Oh, okay, oh, good. Well, oh, well, bye for, then. Well, thank you for checking. I appreciate that. So. I was just yeah, I was checking my brain. Yeah. <laughs> bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> hey guys. Did you know that you are actually two months behind on Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons? My patrons over on Patreon have access to more episodes of this show as well as behind the scene content. Patreon is a great way for you to support this podcast and my website Geeky Girl Experience with multiple tiers of content that you can choose from. If you become a patron, you'll get your name shouted out in the episodes as well as my never-ending gratitude. You can sign up today at www.patreon.com slash geekygirlexperience. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time, and I love you guys. Bye.